You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 83, and we got a really nice slate. We got some uh, more unique plants for our for That's Hot segment. We got some we, really good articles. I, I glanced at yours. I cheated a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't look, look at yours the yet. Script. And... I, um, and but no books, no complaint. Well, I don't know. Fran's always got a complaint, but I don't no have scripted any, complaints. I haven't really complained. Well, I complain a lot, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. I haven't had a scripted complaint. Maybe one will come up as we're going, but no, it's some some good things. I'm I'm the article I picked this week was just based on the perspective of something else. Like that's mm-hmm. why it appealed to me. But yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I I can't wait to see. I haven't looked at your your plant or your your article yet, so I'm curious. Yeah, wanna... so it should be good. But we have had uh, some success of keeping them a little bit shorter the last few times. So let's try and roll with that and, and do it again and get right into our segment where we describe the plants that we're vibing with this week. Let's get into That's Hot. That's hot. Would, would you like to go first? I can go first. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I You know, I just read a whole article last night about Paris Hilton (laughs) after hearing that that, that's hot about an interview she just did about abuse at like boarding schools. Have you seen that? I hadn't read it, but my wife read it and and told me about it and it was pretty revealing. It it, it was. It wasn't what I was expecting. So, But but getting away from that subject (laughs) and into uh, what you all want to listen to, and that is our plants this week. And um, mine is – I was going to pick something different, and I switched last minute. Okay. What were you going to pick? I was going to pick um, Northern Red Oak, which is Quercus rubra. Oh, see, that's a that's a good selection. Because for it, I missed it when, <laughs> when it turned <laughs> colors, and I'm like, well, I got to pick this eventually. And um, I was going to say I have two in my yard, and they really put down a lot of, of leaf matter. The, there's a few leaves that are holding on to one, and the other one is completely bare. But all those leaves are on my lawn, and yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. But that's not the one I picked. What I did pick was American Beach, which is Vegas Grandifold. Really nice pick. Oh, yeah. I don't think – and we've definitely not done no, that no. before. And it was one – I just started thinking because, like I said, I'm looking at the red oaks in, in my yard, and I'm like, well, I could pick it just because I can pick it. I can, <laughs> I'm the co-host of the show, and I can pick whatever <laughs> I want. But um, I, I like to keep things that actually look or have yeah. some reasoning behind it. And while there was a reasoning, I felt it was kind of cop-out. But yeah. then I started – what is does look really good right now, and that the one that came to mind was American Beach, because it's one of the only trees when you we don't have a lot of them around here. Yeah. I've seen a couple like saplings, yeah. um, but we don't have like these big beach forests. But I remember when I was up in New York, like up in the, the mountains in New York, there was lots of them. And this time of year, man, you'd go in the the forest and there's these big, tall, eighty foot tall beech trees. And super smooth bark, and the leaves were just like this gorgeous copper color, and they would hold their leaves, yeah. unlike uh, a lot of the other trees. Like I said, that red oak is completely bare right now. Most of the leaves have dropped, or most of the trees have dropped their leaves right now, and that's one that holds on quite a bit longer. Um, now I'm thinking about it. There's one at a property not too far away from here 
where I used to hunt, and there was a guy who had a tree stand in that tree just because it would it was, conceal them a lot better for later in the year. But, but you're um, right. Typically, yeah. like when you see them, you don't just see one. It's it's more of a, a, a beach a forest bunch, yeah. because I know that not everything can grow under a beach. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had one in my property uh, when I lived around the corner from here, which really wasn't the right hydrology for it. Mm-hmm. But I had one lone one that did that I loved that was doing really well. Yeah. It just but, but this was, time of year they do really stand out, and uh, because when you look into the woods, everything else is dropped, and then there's just this one thing that's kind of like glowing, this gold, like bronzy copper color, and that smooth silver and, bark. Yeah. yeah, when you get close, and that's one of the things I found on Wildflower.org is they're saying that was one of the trees that's really um, uh, not something I I advise <laughs> that you do, but. People always liked it for carving their initials in because it really showed up. And unlike a lot of other trees where, yeah, the bark might be smooth when they're young, but it got more craggly or or broken over time. This is something that keeps. I I was going to say that's probably the most carved tree. Oh, initials and hearts. (laughs) Like if (laughs) look for that carved tree, more than likely that's what it is. But has edible nuts, um, which are really valuable, not just to wildlife, but even early settlers of this this Native Americans and colonists alike. and then I'm I'm assuming it's the inspiration for the beech nut baby food and and tobacco brand. Yeah. Um, that would be my guess. I would. Yeah, I didn't look into it, but it's a really really valuable plant because it has, uh, not just it's not just edible nuts, but highly nutritious nuts as well. And something that you don't see a lot of people advertising to to eat nowadays. No, I've never had one. Although yeah. I'm not a big nut guy. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was my pick. Awesome. And, uh, That's great. You know I. There, when when I worked at Princeton, um, along I'm trying to remember which creek it was, if it was Crosswicks, but there was a behind one of the farms, there was a, a beech forest that was up on a high ridge that overlooked the creek, and that's where there was a lot of arrowheads found yeah. because it was a high high hunting spot for mm-hmm. you know looking down over the water, and it was just a beautiful forest. I kind of yeah. miss that. Yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, miss, really miss getting to trees. see that. So my choice is I, I saw something this weekend that I don't know that I ever – I know the plant, but I never spotted it in the wild naturally occurring, um, and that is uh, bushy blue stem or bushy beard grass, um, which is andropogon glomeratus, which is a facultative wet. And you know most andropogons you think of are, are more upland grasses. You think of little blue stem and broom sedge and, and big blue stem, and, mm-hmm. and those are more – Upland, but this is a, a facultative wet. Um, it's still a warm season grass. It's two to four foot t- f- two to four foot tall. Uh, but it was in full plumage. I saw it at Batstow Village in mm-hmm. uh, just outside of Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, historic uh, Batstow, which was owned by Joseph Wharton of Wharton School of Business fame. Okay. Um, and uh, the the plant has an interesting beard like flower that that bloom in September through October. The inflorescences have des- densely clustered bushy bracts at the very top of the stem, so it, it looks like a almost like a not a bottle brush, but it, it has that andropogon look, but with a much bigger inflorescence. Uh, inflorescence. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and it makes a great cut or dry flower in an arrangement. Uh, it does have a severe flammability rating, which I thought was pretty interesting considering it was in the Pine Barrens. It makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not yeah. something you want to plant large amounts by your house. Um, but it does support the common wood nymph larvae, uh, which have one brood from late May to October. And adult common wood nymph butterflies feed on rotting fruit and flower nectar. Um, 
The plant also supports various skipper larvae and provides excellent cover year-round. Seeds are eaten by songbirds and small mammals. So it's a great plant. Probably not something you want close to your house, but like this was right along the dam at at Batstow Village. Mm-hmm. So like if you have uh, – it goes good near a waterway. It makes a good, good small uh, warm season grass. So. Yeah, that's another one I haven't – at least I haven't noticed that I've seen it. In the wild, but I'm thinking of a place in the New Jersey Pine Barrens where I would imagine it probably grows. Yeah. And I just, it's probably just something that when I was walking by, I just didn't even think about and, and, or just glanced at it and thought it was something else. Where, just where, didn't, uh, so I'm, I'm actually going there tomorrow. No. Yeah. Uh, well, at the time people were listening to this yesterday. <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll report back at some point if it was actually there or not. So it's, um, we're almost at its northern range mm-hmm. for us. If if you were to draw a line from us across the country, it's in every state south south of yeah, there. Yeah. But it doesn't show up too much. I think it might go up to like southern Connecticut. Like we're but we're close to like the southern range. Mm-hmm. But um, I we grew it here at one point. Yeah, just for I, a and year I remember or two. growing it here too. Um, but yeah, it was the first time I've ever encountered it naturally mm-hmm. and i was kind of shocked cool. and it looked great like it stood out like it, it it caught my attention so i just wanted to bring a little attention to it and and i thought that would be great so i'm looking forward to as we do these and and we're doing research for our upcoming podcast mm-hmm. i'm really looking forward to being able to take one episode and delve into yeah, all exactly. the great things about all which these I, plants. that reminds me i've been like brainstorming on how because we want to talk about the plants but we also want to make it a little entertaining we try yeah. to be entertaining with it so i had some ideas that i wanted to pitch to you i'll all do right. that once we're wrapped up all right but, all right you don't want to pitch them now um no go i don't want to give away the secret if we actually uh, okay. go with these <laughs> ideas or i don't want to let people down when they don't think my ideas are very good or you don't think my ideas are very no, good and we but, don't do them you know so. i th- i think you know, as always, and you and I have talked about this, what's hard about doing that type of thing is that it becomes very A to A to Z. Yeah. Like it's a list like and this plant does this and this plant does this. And I don't I don't want it to be boring, although I can't see us doing something that's boring. Mm-hmm. But it concerns me like how do you make it entertaining enough that someone would want to tune in every day? Yeah, and that's where I have ideas. All right. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. Save them. But, save them. Okay. So we're going to move on, and uh, we always have this competition every other week where we – Fran presents an article. I present an article somewhere in the botany, ecology, nature sphere, and, uh, and then you guys get to vote on which one is your favorite. So let's move along to this or that. You can get with this or you can get with that. So we do have a winner because it's all about uh, having a winner. And we had two really good articles last week. We And we, it we was did. very, very close. And uh, I actually I, I shared this again to bump it for votes because it was tied. And uh, I was like, well, we should have a winner, even though I do have an idea for if, how to yeah. break our next tie. But um, I was like, well, let's just see. Let it play out. So I shared it again, and we got a bunch more votes this morning. And, um, but and, but uh, we do have a winner. Yeah, we do have a winner. You want to say? Yeah, you won again, friend. I don't it was know close. how. You know, it, it was, was close. It's it's only ten to nine, but all week you've been up eight to seven, mm-hmm. and even I shared it. I think Friday or Saturday, just to bump it because I knew we were recording early this week. Yep. Um, and, and there uh, weren't any more votes, and then I saw you shared it, and, and then I, I was winning. It, it was eight to eight when I looked, and I'm like, well, we should probably have a winner, so I shared it. Yeah. And and you ended up coming out on top, but uh, but no, we had we had two good articles, and I think that reflected that. 
you had your well, I should I said it was good, but you had a really crappy article <laughs> because it was about Native American plants treating uh, pain and diarrhea. Yeah, finding science is saying that it actually really treats these. Things. And then mine was uh, an article which. Personally, I wish there was more that went into it, but it was about keeping good seeds from going bad. Yeah. And that was uh, from growertalks.com. And you know what? We get more questions about anything else about starting plants from seed. Definitely. So I thought that yeah. that was a great choice. Um, I'm going to choose to go first. Okay. Um, sorry, I needed a drink there. Um, and I chose something a little different. My, I, my new strategy for picking an article since I now have Apple News is that I just type in native plants and see what comes up. It's a good strategy. Yeah, you know, I figured yeah. I'm going to get something, you know, and this one I thought it was interesting only because it was from a perspective of someone seeing danger on the horizon but mm-hmm. not but feeling hopeless of yeah. stopping it. So, yep. um this article is called Meet the Latest Threat to Ontario's Forest and it's lurking just offshore. And it was by CBC News on the website cbc.ca. And I'm going to – like always, I've highlighted a few uh, paragraphs. Uh, I'll paraphrase a little bit and read some of this just so you get a good feel of what the article is. Um, Like emerald ash borer or Dutch elms disease, oak wilt can kill every oak in its path, Forrester says. It's quiet, it's deadly, and it's half a kilometer from the Canadian border – and to hear forester experts tell it, it's a dire threat to Ontario's oak trees. Oak wilt has been found in Belle Isle, Michigan, about 500 meters from the Canadian border. It can infect and kill off every species of oak, says Richard Wilson, a recently retired forest program pathologist with the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources. And no one really knows how to stop it. It spreads in two ways, over land and insect vector, a sap beetle that's attracted to oak trees that have damaged wounds on them, and it also spreads underground through root systems of the tree. So from an infected tree an oak will, will oak with oak wilt to an uninfected tree. So it can spread underground to many oaks. It was discovered on Bell Island, which is in the river just between Windsor and Detroit. It's 500 meters from the Ontario border. It's a very cryptic disease. It's very hard to detect like, like most, ugh, most forest pathogens. It's not like a bug you can see and stomp on. It might appear and you might not know it's there for quite some time. When it's discovered, it could be widespread and very hard to eradicate. We have no real cure for it. There's no magic bullet that will stop a lot of these invasive forest pathogens. It kills every tree or it kills the trees very quickly or it can in the states it's killed them as quickly as 2 or 3 weeks, but most of the time it takes a year for the tree to die. So if a tree was to become infected during the summer, you probably wouldn't even notice the tree had problems until the following spring when it didn't leaf out. And then from another article, I did see as of mid 2021, oak wilt has not yet been confirmed in New Jersey, although there have been newspaper reports of infected trees. The experts at Rutgers tell us there are no confirmed cases. However, oak wilt has been found in neighboring states with confirmed infections as close as Brooklyn or Long Island. It's only a matter of time before our oak trees are at risk from this devastating disease that has killed millions of magnificent magnificent oaks from Texas and South Dakota all the way east to New York. So it's something that's here. It's been here. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hasn't hit us directly yet, but we know living in New Jersey, we have tons of oak forests. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've lost so many trees already. And here's, you know, from the perspective of Canada seeing it coming on the horizon yeah. and knowing 
we have nothing to stop it. And when you think of Michigan, they've already had em- emerald ash borer that devastated mm-hmm. their ash forests. We're experiencing that now. We've lost uh, elms. We've lost chestnuts. And now like another big mast producing tree like oak is soon to be in danger, um, you know, uh, danger's way. So it's it's kind of depressing in the fact they know it's coming and there's nothing we, – we have no solution for it. Very depressing. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that was one we didn't that talk phrase about. We, we've said a bunch of times and it's like it's a lonely world when you're an ecologist because yeah. you see everything yes. that's going wrong and like no one else around you. Everything's everyone's like all happy and overjoyed to be out in nature. Yeah, uh, and and you know I I don't know how this one started. That's one thing I wish I would have looked up. And we didn't mention this one when we talked about you know our top five or top six diseases that are yeah. that are harmful yeah. that are killing plants that you need to be on the look for. This one didn't even come up, but it's uh knowing that it's close. I would assume just like anything else, it's going to eventually find its way there. Yeah, and it's interesting because we've noticed even on our our nursery property here that there's some oaks that just kind of suddenly died. Yeah. And uh and we've had people come out and they're they're looking for this. They're trying to figure out what the vector is in a lot of cases and um I know there's another oak disease that's yeah. going around as well. And uh I know bacterial leaf scorch is mm-hmm. one that's affecting red oaks. Yeah, so it's uh Yeah, it's it's crazy to think that all these trees that have been here, in some cases for hundreds of years, are, are just like that can can die and be forgotten. No, and it's just another case of, you know, we keep bringing in, we keep importing, and, and this I don't know if it came from another plant mm-hmm. from from somewhere else or if it came by bug. You know, like all of these issues are being spread; they're being brought here. And most of the times they don't need need to be here. Like with the the chestnut blight, it, it came from Chinese chestnuts. We didn't. We had American chestnuts. We didn't need to bring Chinese chestnuts here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a. You know, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just depressing. Yeah. But so it, and I'm looking up where it came from, and they don't really know. They're they're guessing it came from uh, Mexico, Central America, or South America because that is the global or Mexico is the global center of oak diversity. Okay. So that. They're thinking that that's where it probably started and then then crept around from there. But so yeah. for that depressing news, <laughs> that's that's what I leave you with. I am really glad I didn't choose a super depressing article too because I almost did. Did you really? Oh, <laughs> and, I'm glad uh, you didn't. My strategy when I pick these articles is I basically peruse. Um, I don't go actively looking for them. Yeah. Um, it's more when I'm going through social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, um, and someone shares an article, whether it's uh, like my my mom's aunt or some, someone yeah. like that shares it, or it's uh, or it's someone in the field shares it. And uh, well, the ones that really stick out, I'll go and open it in my browser, and then it's a day or two before the episode, and I'm just kind of cruising through my browser <laughs> saying, "Okay, here's all the ones that I have." And typically, I'll get like two or three. Yeah, this. Past two weeks, I have like twenty. Really? <laughs> wow! Like, oh crap! What am I going to pick? But um, there was a couple about climate change, and uh, and com- well, I guess combating combating climate change. One of the the uh, articles was talking about a, a lot of these big companies are saying they're going to have like zero carbon uh, footprint yeah. by such and such a date, and they were saying that well, that doesn't really matter because 
our our nature already isn't able to keep up with what we're <laughs> we're outputting. So yeah, you okay, you're not putting out any more emissions, but we still can't keep up. So yeah. we need to invest in yeah. in more of this and planting forests isn't always the best case yeah. in the a second article was talking about how do how does this actually work how do we reverse climate change and it was talking really about um how peatland and wetlands are your biggest carbon sinks yeah because you have uh plants that grow fairly fast grow up die out become detritus and because it's in uh and anaerobic conditions they don't degrade they don't decay and um now and so you're capturing that carbon in in some places like meters and meters deep of peat yeah um and then okay when you go and drain that wetlands and now you put oxygen back oxygen back in the system you basically just release all that carbon. Yeah. So that's why you don't want to drain wetlands. And <laughs> yeah. Wetlands are really important because they're yeah. capturing. Those are your real carbon sinks. And uh, young plants and young forests capture a lot more carbon than old forests do uh, just because they're kind of at their capacity in a lot of cases. Um, but I didn't choose those articles because they, <laughs> they were really close and I didn't know which one to pick. And I'm like, man, Fran's article is kind of a downer. It my, really is. Mind to me you too. know what? Here's the thing. I knew it was a downer. Yeah. But I didn't realize how much until I, I just started reading it out loud. <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, oh, man, so, uh, where do you go from here? So I pulled the last-minute audible. I was okay. going to pick one of those two. And yeah. there's, like I said, there's 20 that were really good um, in varying levels of, of greatness. Yeah. But uh, then I switched to another one, which I thought was really good. And because it's also from a source that I wouldn't always expect to see this kind of article. Okay. So my article was... When planning for pollinators, don't forget trees. And it was from uh, www.hortmag.com or Horticultural Magazine. Oh, okay. And uh, the author was Brenda Lynn. And I'll read a couple snippets. And I've cropped out some stuff just because I didn't feel like it had to do the story. Okay. But, and I'll give my feedback too. So the flowers of native perennials and annuals are excellent nectar sources for bees, hummingbirds, and butterflies. But to really up the impact of your pollinator-friendly garden, plant a flowering tree. The amount of nectar and pollen potentially gleaned from a single tree may be equal to that of an entire field of wildflowers. In my perspective, well, that makes sense because you're going vertical in this yeah. case versus uh, it's uh, – think back to our last episode with um, Jack. Sorry, I'm not going to even try your Zespansky. last name. <laughs> Zespansky. Although I did, I did learn how to pronounce that in Polish. Not even going to attempt it <laughs> because it's, it's like Czpaniansky or something yeah. like – I, I couldn't even like twist my jaw to pronounce it. <laughs> but um but anyway, he kept talking about surface area. Well, you think about a, a flowering tree or even a flowering shrub and think about all that surface area because now it's vertical and horizontal instead of where with your your pollinator beds. It may have some up and down, but it's not going over 6 feet yeah. in most cases, probably even 4 feet. So you don't get that that vertical component. So there's less surface area over the same horizontal footprint so makes sense um trees also provide shelter for native nesting bee species and carpenter bees native trees bloom periods are synchronized with local pollinators life cycles and when they're planted in the climate zone and soil conditions in which they evolve they require little maintenance Uh, native bees don't produce honey but some offer an alternative source of crop uh an alternative source of crop pollination they also help sustain natural spaces by pollinating indigenous plants and they serve as a vital part of the food chain. Unlike the social honeybee, native bees are often solitary. 
They nest in the ground or in trees, working in place to support nearby crops. By planting a diverse array of native trees and herbaceous plants, we heighten our chances that all bees will be there when we need them. Gardeners are always buzz about four-season interest. Who doesn't want a garden that shines with blooms all spring and summer, glows with fall color, and shows strong bones when leaves drop? Believe it or not, bees share the same goal. In cooler climates, bees nectar and pollen sources throughout the growing season to store up enough nutrition for winter survival. At the time where perennial blooms are scarce, early flowering trees set up as key nectar sources. Uh, some of the trees she mentions is red maple, which is Acer rubrum, and sugar maple, Acer saccharin, or sac, saccharum. Saccharum, saccharinum yes. is silver maple, um, are some of the first plants to bloom in cooler climates. Human place great value on maple foliage, wood syrup, uh, wooden syrup, but we have yet another reason to love this American stalwart. It's simply bee gold. Unfortunately, the uh, ubiquitous Japanese maples that dot suburban landscapes offer little pollinator value, which makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, I know that a Japanese cherry, while beautiful and full of hope, is not a great nectar source. Although it's covered in bees on unseasonably warm winter days, bees are opportunists, and they will suck nectar from any available source during a dearth. But, uh, but what would have been a better choice? Native choke cherry, Prunus virginiana, and uh, and there's a bunch of different uh, uh, shrubs and trees that go into that family as well. Uh, its flowers are chock full of nectar and pollen from March through June, drawing bees as well as butterflies. The tree reaches a mature height of 15 to 25 feet, making it perfect for smaller yards. For those with more space and moist soils, black willow trees, which is Salix niger, are invaluable. For smaller spaces and cooler climates, American pussy willow, Salix discolor, fits the bill. Irresistible furry buds appear when the ice begins to thaw, and the tiny florets are packed with pollen. When spring is finally in full swing, nectar sources abound. Uh, however, an unusually wet or cool season can significantly delay nectar flow, the key period of time when native flora bloom. Tulip poplar, Liriodendron tulipifera, flowers are vital and reliable spring nectar source that often signal nectar flow. Uh, linden, which is Tilia americana, commonly known as basswood, is another uh, stately bee magnet. Smaller native trees, including flowering dogwood, Cornus florida, crabapple, which is your malice, and staghorn sumac, rustifina, also provide nectar at crucial times that neatly fit into the understory. Once we realize that our landscapes are not just an extension of our living space, space but also fortification fortification for wildlife, ensuring year-round interest takes on new meaning. When considering what to do with a little extra space in the garden, think broadly. Think of the bees, butterflies, and birds that will benefit from your choice and keep you company through each changing season. Think Then think trees. That's an awesome article. Yeah. You, you oh, know, yeah. It's, it's funny because as you were going through some of the selections, I was thinking of Dr. Tallamy and, and his mm-hmm. top five, which you, you can yeah. get as a shirt and support Homegrown National Park. Uh, but I was thinking about Quercus and then oak wilt, yeah, and how important that tree is not only due to mast but mm-hmm. Lepidoptera for oh, white oak and that's, just that's how, where a lot of them or there's what, 500 and some species that can rely on that as a host for the, for their larval stages. Yeah. So but yeah, it's uh, we tend to think of flowers as as the pollinator plants. That's yeah. number one thing is, and I think a lot of it's just because you can see it. Like I mentioned earlier, those flowers are two feet tall, four feet tall, six feet tall. You can go outside and see all these things because they're flying right around your head level or a little bit lower, and you can go down and take a look and take pictures and all that. You're not doing that on a red maple that's 40 feet in the air. No, <laughs> You're not no, seeing you're not. the activity that's up there. And that's one of the reasons I think dandelions get a lot of love is because people can see the bees going to them. 
but like clover you and don't dandelion hear game. about those other the other uh, early blooming plants like we mentioned the acers where it's it's happening so far up and acer rubrum is so much more valuable to these bees than dandelions are the reason they're visiting dandelions like she mentioned with the the Japanese cherry yeah. is because they don't have many other choices yeah if there's not enough food they're gonna go like think about where when you're uh Go on a road trip and you got to pull over and you're in the middle of New Mexico or someplace. Yeah. There's nothing to be seen, but there is a gas station and they have pizza. Yeah. <laughs> like you normally, if we're, where we are in New Jersey, we're not going to go to the gas station and get pizza. You got tons of yeah. better pizza options, but when that's the only option, well, and you need dinner, that's where you're going to go. That's where you're going to eat. Yeah. It's the same thing with plants. If you have Japanese cherries and dandelions and, and very, very little, well, yeah, of course the, the pollinators are going to go to them. But when you have these higher value nectar sources, uh, that's when you're not going to see, you're going to think, oh, something happened to all the bees. No, they're just way up in the tree yeah. <laughs> instead yeah. of being on my dandelions because they have enough food now. You know, it's so. funny. I was last summer, was it last summer? Uh, during COVID, we went to uh, Bowman's Tower. Yeah. Um, and you're you're up, you're high above the trees, you're looking out. And it was amazing the activity you could see. You know, we were looking at the spotted lanternfly activity because from the ground you didn't really mm. see it, but from above you were realizing, oh, this is a much worse problem here than we thought, just because we didn't see it. But you could see all the pollinator activity and everything up above. You just weren't witnessing that. So um, that's a great choice, great article. Yeah, Thank you for uh, pulling the pulling us out I of had, the funk. Yeah, and there's at the end of this article, I didn't want to read through the whole thing. She has. Um, a list of almost a phonology chart in a way of, and it's not like an extensive list, but yeah. it has a bunch of species on there that from the beginning of the season to the, the middle of the season, when you're going to start getting a lot of those, those other flowers, the wildflowers um, start blooming. And that's when you have like a, just a glut of pollen and nectar and you don't need these early season food sources. Uh, they provide their role, but she has a list starting in like February to probably June when, when everything else starts to bloom. So I would check out that article. You're going to find the link on our, our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplant.com. Uh, we'll make sure to share it in well, on the Facebook group in this or that vote. But, uh, yeah, it was just – there was a lot of really unique – I wasn't expecting that article from Horticultural Magazine. And it's no. nice to see it. That, and even I, – I cut some of the parts out where she was talking about honeybees. and But she makes a good distinction in that article saying, well, honeybees, they have a purpose – and uh, and they're very very well known, but native bees are are just as important, if not more important, yeah. to a lot of our other or our our native plants, and then our uh, some of our crops as well. Totally. So and the uh, same thing with the Japanese cherry, and she brings up Japanese maple and some other stuff. And how yeah, they can be beneficial. It, you don't have to remove them, but if you're going to add, think about adding things that provide more of a benefit than just looking nice. And uh, in the case of Japanese maple, that not all your neighbors have as as well. Yeah. So yeah. No, it was, a, it was a nice article, and your article was was Thank really you. interesting as well. Thank you. You know, it's it like both things. You're just bringing more awareness. Like, be aware that these things are happening, mm-hmm. and and try to take note if if you see oak wilt or or you're losing oaks on your property. So if if it can be stopped or or examined, and and you have you always have choices when you're you're planting new plants. So this gives you something else to think about. How does it affect the pollinators? How does exactly. it affect the food web? Don't just think herbaceous. Don't just think shrubs. Trees are a part of that. And they're an important part of it. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a lot to 
a lot more to think about. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so uh, we'll make sure that we get this up on the um, – uh, the Facebook group, so you can vote. I love that everyone's been voting in good numbers. It was mm-hmm. nice to see that we had almost 20 votes, uh, probably just about 20 votes. I'm curious if since while we're recording this, if you've taken the lead. Like I'm already taking the win, but I'm going to look real fast just to see because that happened one week where I won, and then it was a tie by the time we were done recording. <laughs> so let's I see. am waiting for the next tie because I have – we only have so many coworkers we can bring in to break ties. Yeah, yeah that's and I true. have a really good idea, I think, for all right. our next tie. All right, I'm still up ten nine. Okay, so, all right. So <laughs> I was going to give you the benefit, the benefit of the vote. Um, so we'll get this up. Uh, it should be up within a day of like of this uh, episode coming out. So make sure you vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. All right, you ready for listener shout? Yeah, we have some listener shout outs. All right. I'm sad to say that none of the shout-outs are from five-star reviews. That is, That was a shame. When I saw my list, Fran preloads the, the five-star review name in there for me so I don't have to go and find it because yeah. he's looking all the time. Yeah. He's looking for the compliments, I'm, and I saw – I opened up the document, and it was blank, and I was like, no, oh. No compliments and no, no negative feedback either. There was no new yeah. reviews at all. Like we're still at the same same number, same rating. So, which means everyone's contently happy. I'm, yes, I'm guessing no so. one's no one's so upset that they're like, oh, I gotta say something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'll take no feedback over. Like, yeah. you know, the, I find that we don't get a lot of negative feedback, but when we do, like, you take it to heart. But I wouldn't when, even say it's that that scathing. You but, just you no, really take but they, it personally. I think I think when when we get negative feedback, like they they really hate us. It's not like you go from it's great, it's great. Like you don't even get like, hey, it's okay. I like this. It's either it's great. This or, is the biggest waste. This of time. is horrible. <laughs> biggest this waste of money I've ever, <laughs> ever spent, and it's free. All it's, right, did we talk about this? On no, the, but we don't need. You to. know what? That's going to be my secret today. (laughs) That's what I'm going to share. (laughs) But, Fran, who was your your shout-out this week? So um, I want to thank Ann from Trimble's Garden Center, who is a customer of ours that called the other day. And um, they don't do a lot with us um, as far as Garden Center goes because we don't really produce a traditional Garden Center-type plant. But um, she just wanted to say that she's a big fan of the podcast and loves the message that we're spreading and to keep doing what we're doing. And they were asking questions because they were inquiring about incorporating more natives into their, their garden center mix. Awesome. Like they want to take a more active stand and make sure they have more native plants to offer to their customers. And and that's a wonderful thing to hear someone say that we've been saying that all the mm-hmm. like like we want we were hoping that businesses would take a more active role. In, in selling native plants, and this is someone that is making that step, and I loved hearing that. So yeah. I just wanted to say thank you oh, for that. Oh, definitely. No, that was really nice to hear, and and that's – it just takes one to make the take the first step, yeah. and then it's going to it's gonna be a hit. It's going to pay off, yeah. How many times can we see on all these, these horticultural lists and nursery lists thing, like top ten uh, hot things for next year, and for the last – decade plus native plants has been on there ecologically focused plants has been on there um uh those kind of topics just keep coming up because people more and more people are recognizing uh that climate change is a real thing and and that there are issues on the horizon unless we make changes and 
Um, and people want more of a sense of purpose. It's yeah. uh, a lot of it's just, I guess, as a society, we have more, I don't want to say free time, but we have um, less burdens that you have to, like, daily, day-to-day burdens, so you have time to put more uh, more thought into your, your social impact, your ecological impact, your, your carbon footprint. Yeah. So a lot of people are interested in it. So if you're near Trimble's, I can't – I should have written down the town, but they're in New York, um, New York State. Um, if you're near them, stop in and let them know that you're interested in native plants and what kind of native plants you'd like to see. I'm sure they'd appreciate the feedback as they're they're starting to uh, incorporate this more and, and, and support them. Whenever you have someone willing to make that change, make sure make sure you support them. I was going to look up Fran, but I don't, it's one of those towns I don't know if I can pronounce. It. <laughs> is it the one on Long Island? Or oh, is, is it, it a, Long Island? I don't know. There's a, a Trimble's of Trimble's Nursery of Cauchog. That might be it. Yeah. So I can't remember. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully well, that's the right one. <laughs> if not, we'll we'll make sure we find the right one and and uh, we'll put the it word. in the, the show notes. I do want to give a shout out to it. It wasn't podcast related, but. It's weird being like picked out. I was in a Target, and an employee there had questions about plant material, and and was uh, going to contact Pinelands Direct, and we had a nice talk about Paul Paul. It was kind of like very surreal for me being in the middle of shopping and then having a plant plant material talk with someone <laughs> out of the blue. So Curtis, thank you for stopping me, uh, recognizing me, and, and just bringing that up. Yeah. So then. Um my notes go my uh i had two shout outs this week actually i'm gonna throw a third one in there too and um so on the on the last couple episodes i've mentioned my wife is going through yes and listing all the the favorite native plants from that are guest listed because it's become a pretty comprehensive list now there's yeah. a lot of stuff on there and we should have been doing that from the beginning yes. but Forethought is not our our <laughs> our specialty. We we aren't always on top of this now. So, but we have such a list now that we wanted to put in there. And it's funny, my wife. Every once in a while, I guess it's our last question, but we must go on for a while after yeah. it. Sometimes, yeah. And she's like, "You didn't ask them what their native plant is." I'm like, "No, we definitely did. We always we, do. We've asked it in every episode, and it's just got to be not at the very end. It's got to be a little <laughs> further back." But um, but. We actually had two people. Uh, well, one definitely offered to help. The other one, I'm I'm taking their messages and offered to help, uh, and that's uh, Alyssa Lewis mm-hmm. and then Bill Stusnick. Both mentioned that if we once we get that posted, they're happy to help fill oh, that's in awesome. with new episodes and and um, add stuff and then add resources to that file as well. So what I'm hoping is it can be. I don't know how. Facebook files works, but if it can be a living document where we have something in, um, I'm trying to think what was, uh, Minarda Didyma was, was Jack's favorite, yeah. favorite native plant. So maybe you have something cool, like a cool resource about Minarda Didyma that you can then add, add to, to that listing. And, uh, that would be something that's, that's pretty neat. To keep Cause on there I would love to see it. And I know this is asking a lot. I wish, had we known this from the get go, we could have done it from the get go. Cause we didn't even have the Facebook group at the very beginning, right? No, it we took thought a few we might episodes. only have 12 episodes total. Yeah. So <laughs> I would love to have a list of all the, the, um, that's hot. Yeah. What, what we've yeah. chosen. That's, and that's step two is, is okay. going through. Cause like I mentioned, we're trying to choose stuff that looks, um, has a has a purpose at that time. time. Yeah. 
there's been a couple that we chose just because of a different reason. But like I chose winterberry holly in the spring when there are no berries, or I guess it was the summer because it was starting to flower and then kind of went through. So yeah, there's a, a purpose to that choice, even though it might not be the uh, the the ideal the time like, when people would think of that plant. Um, so but you the have to think outside a, the box. Yeah, almost a phenology chart if we put that together because it's it's looking at what's going to look nice. And so that's next step two. But they kind of both offered to help in a way. Mm-hmm. Alyssa, I know, has actually been corresponding with my wife on um, on certain things and, and listening to different episodes awesome. and saying, hey, this is what happened in, in episode 58 and, and those kind of things. So those were two. And then uh, former guest Russ Finari reached out to me on, on uh, Facebook Messenger. And <laughs> I guess I, I can't remember the event <laughs> name, but it was something about um, Bette Midler. And really? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I knew, I heard you didn't know anything about M- Bette Midler, so I wanted to share this with you. And I guess she, uh, it, there was some award, like a presidential award, the Kennedy Center Award. And um, and she won that along with a couple other people, including Joni Mitchell. And he said, pay attention to Joni Mitchell, too. Which uh, Did you know who Joni Mitchell I, was? I know who Joni Mitchell is. Okay. Um, but I, <laughs> this is a... a I've known this fact for a while, but there's a song, Big Yellow Taxi, that, oh, yeah. that is a Joni Mitchell song. Yes. When but I was younger, you know I what? thought it was an Uncle Cracker song. <laughs> <laughs> for a long time, I thought it was an Uncle Cracker song. But, um, oh. yeah. but that's a, it kind of goes along with with a lot of the themes of our, our conversations. No. That's awesome. No, we had a lot of great feedback. I know Megan from Penn State Cooperative Extension mentioned that she was a listener of the podcast. It's nice getting feedback from from our customers and and listeners just that, hey, thank you for spreading the message. And and it makes it all worthwhile. It makes it – yeah, I mean we love doing this anyway. But like anything else that you love doing, if you do it enough, it does become a chore. So it's nice just getting a little bit of positive feedback to go, oh, yeah, that's why we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So thank you, everyone. We appreciate it. Um, I have no complaints. Yeah, no complaints. I really don't. Um, we no had questions. No... All right, people. Question and comment line has been dead the last couple of weeks. So it might be the time of year. It it's... might be. You know, it's busy. It's it's really busy. I know the holidays are are here. So, uh, but don't forget about the question and comment line. We'll throw the number out at the end. But it could just even be you can call up and just say hi. Yeah. You know, and that's <laughs> it. It could be like hey. <laughs> Um, uh, I've been reading, but nothing notable to put on here. It's been more history and, and memoirs and that kind of stuff. I, I told you, I said, I don't ever think I ever said the book, but I started reading a book that I got sidetracked from. It was an audio book. And I noticed, I think one of the local nature centers is doing a book club and this is the book they're starting mm-hmm. with. Um, and it's called root it. And it's, it's really good. It's in the same vein as braiding sweetgrass, but it's more, on a like a an emotional like it goes into the scientific, mm-hmm. but it's more of an emotional pull to it. And I'm not I I, I want to finish going through it and, and then give it a good tie in before I yeah. I yep. do it. So which that reminds me, I don't know if we're going to read this before we have him on, but we do have an author coming on uh, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I don't know when it'll be released, but we're going to interview him shortly. Can we? And um, I don't know if we're going to be able to read the book. Before, before we I'll give it a shot. But, can can we can we sneak who our guest next next week is? Well, we'll do it at the end of the episode. Okay, right? all right, we'll do that's, that. That's your sign off. All right, yeah. there. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I didn't know if we were going to announce it though, or surprise everyone. Yeah, but and then uh, the other thing is is I mentioned I read the book 
Sapiens uh, yeah. a couple weeks ago, and and Jason Smith from NYRP reach out to us, but I can't find the email to respond uh, <laughs> about that book because he, he had similar thoughts where you yeah. start thinking about um, what I mentioned on a previous podcast was you read this book and you're like, man, you have an imagined reality, a reality and a biological reality. And a lot of times the, the cars, the companies, the, the things that really don't matter to our survival take precedent over the biological things that we actually do need to survive. And um, especially when you start thinking about native plants and insects and birds yeah. and those kind of things. Yeah. Well, yeah, we remove their habitat, they're going to die. And then eventually that's going to affect us really negatively too because we need that stuff too. And he said the same thing. It's like it really makes you think about like you're, you're living in your own created matrix where all this he, he, stuff is important and it has and it's not. no bearing no. on your, your, if you're going to live or not. You know, I know our listener Deborah Rosenthal was excited also that you were reading. That you read safe. Yeah. So, so maybe I'll have to do that on the future episode. I'll, I'll okay. refresh myself and then and talk about it. But if, right. if you haven't read the book, it was very, very interesting and gave me a lot of new perspectives on right. stuff. But we do have an impromptu topic. Okay. Which we didn't put any notes in for, but no. we did discuss it briefly. And that was uh, we kind of want to recap what we've talked about in our last two guest episodes and a rude discussion episode um, about green infrastructure. And it's it's something that everyone knows the words, but I'm not sure that they know what it means. Um, and it's important, and we wanted to highlight that, especially with some of this bills that have been coming out, mm-hmm. money that we know is going to go towards green infrastructure. We just wanted to make sure that that everyone's kind of aware of what that means. Yeah. Um, you know, green infrastructure can be a, a floating wetland island. It could be. Um, it, it can be a, a green roof, but it also can those are be, two of the really cool, yeah, <laughs> cool a uh, new uh, newer age, but it, it, aspects it, of uh, of green infrastructure. But it, it's it's can be a lot simpler. Yeah, and we're getting notifications about some of this money. It's it it could be used to create better coastal resilience uh, with with creating dunes and and plant material and marshes to protect. Mm-hmm. You know where we live and and our water sources and just a way to enhance that. So um, there, there's all different kinds of ways. But yeah. again, we always say sometimes you have to think outside of the box. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily what you're seeing every day. There's a ton of different options that are going on all the time yeah. that we just wanted to bring awareness to. So what the EPA uh, has a little uh, website or a page on their website about green infrastructure and basically says – Historically, communities have used a lot of gray infrastructure, which is gutters, pipes, tunnels, things that are, tend to be gray, yeah. to move uh, stormwater away from where the people are and to areas where it can be handled. If not, we're at a point now where we don't just put it directly back into into waterways in most places. It still does happen, but not everywhere. We try and treat a lot of that water um, when sewage waste or stormwater plants and, and sewage plants, those kind of things. But um, green infrastructure is rethinking that, and that's capturing that stormwater uh, either where it falls by rain or intercepting it before it can go into um, these these gray infrastructure yeah. places. Now, today, this morning, the morning that we're recording this, I spent my morning on site with, with uh, members of Ocean County Soil Conservation District in Camden County about Basin retrofits, making them living basins. We talked about rain gardens and taking basins that were just being mowed 
and making them into living wetlands. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's things like that because they know how important water quality is um, to do yeah. some of these things. And and you were talking to me a little bit about one of those basins, and it's right next to a parking lot. Yeah. So, and basically, what the purpose of that is is when the rain falls and it hits the the surface of or the roof of that building, or it hits the surface in that parking lot, hits the pavement. It's not going through there. They do have some permeable permeable pavements now, which are really interesting because now you can have the water go through and actually go back in place and and recharge your aquifers and groundwater um, from where it fell. It's going straight line somewhat down. But uh, conventional pavement, whether it's concrete or or asphalt or uh, any even gravel in a lot of cases, it's not going through. It's running off. So you have to have a lot of these basins because you don't just want that water running off and then where's it going to go? Well, you know, the the first basin that we looked at, it's funny you say that because it was – at a minor league baseball stadium, and it was at the lowest corner of the parking lot. So it was pitched where everything was running off to that basin. So, I mean, we're talking a huge parking lot, and you're you're catching all that sediment, all those contaminants. They're all going there. Yeah. And then if your tri- car leaks oil, leaks gas, yeah. you, you had a bottle of shampoo that broke in your car, and you pour it on the ground. You're you tailgate, wash your car. You're, you're tailgating. Yeah. You're you know all that stuff and. Yeah. You know, all that stuff is, you know, traditional um, uh, civil engineering. Just you you capture the water as fast as possible. You get rid of it as fast as possible. And they're rethinking that and saying, hey, we need to capture this. We need to clean it. We need to fix this water quality. We're close to the ocean. We need to make sure we're close to a lot of waterways. We need to make sure that we don't destroy our waterways. How do we do this? And we we visited two basins like that, uh, one that was excelling, one that was failing due to constructional errors and just how to how to fix it how to make it you know one's going to become a, a living wetlands which is phenomenal you know and it's i'm i'm happy to see that kind of thinking happening and that money being put towards that to to make those changes yeah so basically that basin is now it's going to be below below grade yeah. so it's going to capture that water but then you want to have um vegetation in place so that usually you need like a breakwater type thing, especially if it's coming out. If it's really channelized, you need some kind of rock or something to divert that energy or it's just going to scour the earth, yeah. pull out whatever vegetation is there, whether it's grass or, or native plants, whatever it is. It'll pull that out. So you need something to break that flow up and divert the energy into a bunch of different directions. So a lot of times you'll have gravel right there, and then the water kind of spreads out like it would in a delta almost, and then... The vegetation is going to slow it and make it so eventually that water speed will, will slow down enough. It'll drop its sediment, and then eventually the water will stop completely, and then it'll slowly drain back into the ground unless you keep getting rain and rain. And, and rain recharge rain. your aquifer, Those yeah. Kind of and and the root system of the plants really help break up that soil so you get good water penetration. It's yep. it's exciting technology, which really isn't technology. It's it's just witnessing it's, what happens in yeah. a in a riparian yeah. buffer or a, it's, or it's a flood taking plan. where it could have been a, before that parking lot. It could have been a meadow, but yeah. we paved paradise and put a parking <laughs> lot. Going back to Joni Mitchell yeah. <laughs> and uh, or Uncle Cracker, <laughs> whichever you prefer. But you paved ninety percent of that area. Well, now you need to recreate the capacity in ten percent of what's left. Yeah. Probably even less than that if we're if we're really being honest. So that's why you have to make it a wetland, which has the capacity to be inundated and then slowly drain 
instead of where you had an inch of rain and that whole meadow could easily tolerate an inch of rain. You know, we talked about other other things too. When you're talking about big parking lots that are getting used in the winter, there there may be salt mm-hmm. uh, that are contaminating it, and not everything has a salt tolerance. Yep. So it's there, there's a lot of factors. But the one nice thing, and I know this sounds funny, but the basin that we looked at that had failed due due to constructural uh, issues. There was so much wildlife going on in that basin mm-hmm. for what native plants did survive. There were a lot of cattails, and I, lo- I know that plant has like a real bad stigma, even though mm-hmm. it's native plants because it can be aggressive. Yeah, um, but don't don't pick on cattails, or Don Smith will come after. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, muskrats like cattails, but the have, bur- yeah, the, they have so many, much value. But if you want diversity. That's something that does not promote diversity. But the amount of birds I saw, and there was something that I don't know if it was a bluebird, something like caught my eye. It, like I couldn't quite see it, but the amount of bird activity in this basin was unreal, and it was a huge basin. It was like the size of a football field. Like it was yeah. a it was a big basin, but uh, it it was just it it made me feel good. Like look at the good. It's actually even though it's failing, that water isn't draining the way it should. Mm-hmm. It's contributing to the food web right yeah. now. Some some home uh, sized forms of green infrastructure that, like, say, say you are really onto this, and a lot of you probably are even doing this already. Having a rain garden is a, a great idea, and oh, we've totally. talked a little about rain gardens. I think I kind of described it on here how it's not. People like to say, "Oh, I have a wet spot in my yard. That's where I'm going to put my rain garden." That's not necessarily what you want to do. It's more or less a drier. I won't say a drier spot in your yard, but a spot that doesn't have drainage issues. That's not going to be wet. And again, you're going to improve the drainage if if you need to, which most cases you do need to because it's been compacted from lawn and, and mowing for, and playing yeah. for so long. But um, you'll improve the drainage by adding like sand and gravel, those kind of things to improve the drainage. Uh, usually make it a little bit of a depression so the water will gather in that spot. And then you want to make it sure that it drains really quick. Drains. Like they, they tell you, I think, rule of thumb, it's changed over the years. They used to say 72 hours. Now they say mm-hmm. 24 hours because yeah. we've we've talked about it on yep. numerous podcasts this summer about mosquitoes and, mm-hmm. and not having standing water. So you want to make sure within 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours it's draining. A good way to figure out just your percolation test is take a, a coffee can, Punch a hole in the bottom, fill it with water, and see how – put it in that area. With see a, how, so you take a coffee yeah. can and fill it with – Fill it with water. With, with, with water. soil. No, with no, water. No, just with water. Water, okay. punch a hole in the bottom, and put it in the depression and see how long it takes for that coffee can to drain into your rain garden. So it should it, – that coffee can within 24 hours, you should come out. It should be empty, and there should be no standing water. Here's a, another <laughs> – not to get too off topic – but another thing is like coffee cans are kind of going away. Everyone's they are. in the bags now and like gone are the, the days of the big red Folgers can. There, yeah, I know. Where that's where your grandpa kept all his loose nuts and screws <laughs> in can after can after can. So that, that and ice cube trays. That's one of the things. I don't I, think. I think I, my I, wife brought up reference an ice cube tray. She was a, a high school English teacher and reference an ice cube tray and people are like, what, what's that? You mean the, the you just get ice out of the door. Of the yeah, it's the there's ice no, maker. There's no tray. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. That's not something you – yeah. We have them here though, don't we? Do we we have, have coffee cans here, yeah. And, uh, well, and, and ice, ice cube, cube trays. trays. Yeah, we have so. both. <laughs> We're living in the past. <laughs> but but check check the percolation of the, of your soil and if it's not – if that coffee can is not draining within 24 hours, mm-hmm. you need to amend it. You can dig a couple – take an auger, dig a couple holes, fill them with sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to get down, you know, go. Yeah. You want to go down a couple feet so that you're getting the percolation. Try it again, and yeah. then 
you know, a good mix of a faculty of plants. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, even though it's an applicate, Iris Versicolor is a great plant. Yeah. Soft rush, cardinal especially flower. for the the bottom of that. You're basically yeah. building a retention basin in the yeah. yard, and we call it a rain garden. Yeah. But um, Iris Versicolor is great for the bottom because you take that inundation. You have that rain event. You got an inch and a half of rain. Man, there's three inches of water in that in that. Yeah. Basin and it's now. Fine. Well, Iris Versicolor is going to do fine. It's yeah. going to be, but then it slowly dries out over the twenty four hours, and now you have a week and a half where you didn't get rain. The iris is still going to be okay. Yeah, in a lot of cases. Yeah, tussock sedge is another one. Soft rush. Those those tend to like those conditions where they'll take it alternately wet, alternately dry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and, so those are little ways that you could do green infrastructure yeah. in your own. Property. Another one that you can do that's um, that's pretty easy is just having a rain barrel. Now that's still plastic and all that, but it's not going through your gutter and then into your lawn, which is probably going to run off your lawn. It's uh, you're capturing that water and then using it to water your garden. Yeah. You can even take that and then divert it into your rain garden in between rain events. Yeah, is another another strategy I've seen people use to, so that their rain garden doesn't dry out too much. They'll kind of capture some water and then slowly put it back into the rain garden. Um, but just using it around the house. Now you're not you're capturing that water and slowly allowing it to go out in place. Exactly. Um, or go down into the ground in place instead of letting it run off your lawn and go in or your driveway and then go into the uh, the storm drains in the street. Yeah. I know a lot of organizations have rain barrel workshops yeah. where you can go and build your own rain barrel, save you some money, and and that's a great great way to make mm-hmm. a change. Now it's not just about rainfall and uh, and that kind of stuff. There's green infrastructure for for shorelines, and uh, one we see a lot and we love talking about is for coastal resiliency. And um, technically, like a dune is, is yeah. even considered green infrastructure because yeah. a lot of them are manufactured. They were historically there, but if you went to Long Beach Island in New Jersey, those dunes would move on the island. Well, now there's houses there. You can't let them move anymore. they got to be right here. <laughs> yeah. So they're, uh, they're manufactured now. Um, but then even on – Different areas, you have um, living shorelines. And uh, another future guest that we're going to have coming up is going to talk about uh, affiliated with living shorelines but using oyster shells as like a breakwater to divert, again, divert some of that energy so it's not the coast and the plants taking all that energy. But just having a living shoreline where it's planted in soil, a lot of times if it's saltwater, it's going to be Spartina, Altanoflora in that, that area. And it just... We've seen just on the East Coast how areas that are using plants instead of a bulkhead, you know, like if you go down, you're crabbing on the shore, you have that concrete wall or that wood wall that goes and it's straight down. Well, when a wave hits that wall, whether it's boat wake or uh, an actual wave from um, the bay or the ocean from the wind, it's uh, that energy is some of it is absorbed by the wall, but a lot of it is just diverted into a different direction. and. Typically, because it's a flat wall, it's diverted into one direction. So it's kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of a, like a, a ping pong paddle. I guess if you held it still, the ball's going to bounce off with a little bit less energy because someone was in, yeah. in, taken by the paddle, but it's still bouncing off in a single direction. Uh, when you use something with green infrastructure, like so a planted shoreline, you have a soft edge, and there's a lot of surface area. Again, surface yeah. area is key to so many of these conversations. So the plants are slowly, they're diverting a lot of that energy in a lot of different directions. There's Some of it's going straight back out, but a lot of it's going 
to the left, to the right, mm-hmm. at a, a northwest angle, a southeast angle. It's going in a lot of different directions, and you're just dissipating that yeah. energy instead of rebounding it back out the other way. You know, it's funny. In another site visit at a much, much smaller basin, um, we just had this conversation last week because they didn't use any kind of stone at the inlet mm-hmm. to just slow down the energy of the water coming into the basin. So it was kind of washing out around the inlets instead of – like I've seen uh, – I know Rutgers Water Resource, sometimes they'll use little blue stem, even though it's not a wetland plant, just around mm-hmm. the inlet to slow down because it's got such a dense – yeah. body to it just to slow down that water as it comes in just to dissipate it keep the energy low so less erosion so everything's kind of doing its purpose and that's what shorelines are supposed to be living yeah. shorelines are supposed to be and hurricane sandy on the east coast now it's 10 plus year, or over 10 years ago nine years ago yeah it was a long time ago it's, but uh there's very clear evidence that these were areas that had green infrastructure in place, and these are areas that didn't. And the ones that didn't had, took a lot um, more of a direct hit, I guess you could say, than the ones that did. There's places that had severe flooding, and then you had a, an intact salt marsh a mile away, or, or actually in the same area, like in that same area. The places behind the salt marsh and the, the berm, no damage. Yeah. The places that just had a berm, tons of flooding, tons of damage. So it's proven at this point that this stuff works especially in, in shoreline scenarios um and then talking about some of the newer techniques uh we had two great guests talking or three great guests excuse me uh two great episodes uh talking about first green roofs which is something i'm, I'm not that educated on i've seen them a bunch but that was really really cool i learned a lot that one. Oh my god but well both episodes Kate and Shannon that one were was, were fantastic because a lot of times you see just sedum. And yeah, and it's sedum's, yeah, and it's because they're succulents. Sexy. They no, it's not. You know, and it's they they're not native to here. Like if you're doing green roofs here, they're not native to here. Mm-hmm. So you're really still creating. It's a green roof that has a purpose. It's better than and just it's a roof. Not attractive. But, it's well to me. Yeah, it's not a, an attractive plant. Um, so you see a sedum green roof and it's like, okay, well, it's doing something, but it's not engaging. Yeah. That's not starting a conversation. That's not making me wonder more about it. It's just like, eh, it's cool. It probably does something, but it could just be a waste yeah. in mindset wise. It's yeah. obviously does more than that. But when you start incorporating some of these native plants or even just some other plants, it really makes it an engaging topic and you same concept. You're capturing that rainwater. It's not going into your storm drains. Some of it might, yeah. but you're capturing a lot of that rainwater and then returning it in that case through evaporation typically. Yeah, totally. Into the, the sky. And, you know, even just to, to go back a, a sec to touch with you on, like I'm looking forward to like when we start talking about artificial oyster reefs and things oh, like yeah. that for coastal resiliency. Because people think of oysters as food, but not the importance of mm-hmm. why oysters need to exist. They're just for water quality and for resilience as far as energy dissipation, like how important those things are. And what's great is when it can be both. Yes. And when you can use the oysters as food and then for coastal resiliency and then as food again, that's where it's it's a really, really cool where it's serving multiple purposes. Um, And then the floating islands is is awesome. We actually – we mentioned a couple times we built one at the – 
at the nursery through Rutgers Cooperative Extension. Yes. And it's been there for probably five or six years now. I was surprised it didn't sink. I didn't think it was gonna And do it's evolved it as well over the year. Like it's evolved, but it's it it works. It's yeah. It's definitely we've seen a difference. It's it's changed some of the water quality issues in in our pond. And yeah. you see the wildlife. We mm-hmm. we see turtles. Oh, there's turtles on it all the time. And that was uh and i I meant to share this on our Facebook group, but it was through Rutgers Cooperative Extension. They actually made a video about it. And um it's just a pool filter fabric, and it's a couple layers of that. You drill holes in it, and then you filled it with an insulation foam, um, so it would be positively buoyant. Yeah. And then uh, from there, you drilled some more holes, filled it with, with potting soil or, or some kind of soil, and then planted your soil or your plants into there. And we had iris and, and hibiscus and all kinds of stuff on there. For, at one point, it was colonized with Phragmites. It Ours was. was. Yeah. But then I think we went out and got rid of it, and it's because it's not there anymore. No. And I don't think it went away on its own. But um, but it's really, really cool. Now, when I looked at the video, one of the comments that was on that video before I, I was going to post it and then I forgot. But one of the comments I read was saying, oh, this isn't good because it's not um, – it's, it's going to degrade over time and you're leasing that plastic into the water. So in our case, it's a, a – it's a retention retention it's, basin, basically. Yeah. It's not – the water isn't going anywhere it's other than pond, it's sitting yeah. in that spot. Um, but if it was a, like a river or a stream or something where the water was going to be moving or a pond or a, a lake where the water was eventually going to be leaving, that could be a problem. And that's one of the reasons why Princeton Hydro uses those encapsulated yes. islands so that you don't have – you aren't releasing microplastics as it degrades over time. So um, that was something I hadn't even thought about until I, you know, I, I read had, that comment. I'm like, oh, yeah. that's I hadn't that's thought about that either. Probably a, a – an issue, and it's one of those things where you have to measure: is releasing the plastic a worse thing than cleaning the water? Which is your lesser of the evils there? If you wanted to do something like that at home, it's definitely not nearly as attractive as what Princeton Hydro does. No, I, I'd say that too. That's it's, a much nicer looking. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Jack had shared. We have to put up the link at some point mm-hmm. uh, of some other projects he shared with us that were done in Mercer County, New Jersey. Yep. At a lake there, and it was pretty amazing looking through that, what they were able to accomplish there. So, so. for any other – I'm sure there's a ton of other types of green infrastructure yeah. that we're forgetting off the top of our heads. But this maybe we should have just had a podcast that was just green infrastructure. Yeah, no, I think – you know, I, I think more than anything, we wanted to bring light to it. And it, I, I think that's a nice, nice overall look mm-hmm. at it yeah. of, of some of the things that can be done. Some things that you can do, some things that can be done, and it's just – it's just another cog yeah, in it's, the whole. It's something to look out for yeah. too, because Fran mentioned they went to a, a minor league baseball stadium. People aren't affiliating a minor league baseball stadium or a mall or a warehouse or or a, anything really as having green infrastructure. But a lot of times they do. And even yeah. Montgomery County in Maryland has awesome ones where it's actually built into the curb. Yeah, where it, there's like just little cuts into the curb, so the water and it'll have like a little inlet. And the water will flow in, and they just have like a 20-foot-long rain garden that's 5-foot wide, 20 feet long, but it will be like one on every block. Yeah. And it captures, instead of that water going, and now you have overflows if you have a big storm event, and the water will go into a storm drain eventually, but you're capturing a lot of that water, and it's going into the ground instead of... You, you know, just I'm talking out loud here. At some point, we have to have Jeremiah Bergstrom on, mm-hmm. um, who he's a professor now in North Dakota. South Dakota. South Dakota. He was previously at Rutgers Water Resource Program, mm-hmm. and I can't remember. Who, I, I saw him speak before he was with Rutgers, and I can't remember the firm he was with. 
but it was – and I want to say it was in Jackson, New Jersey where they were trying to capture all the rain even though they were building a complex. So it was permeable pavement, rain barrels. Mm-hmm. They were trying to be able to survive a 100-year rain event and yeah. capture that water and keep it there. And it was pretty pretty unique and significant. Um, and hopefully there's more – You know, you don't – that was probably 12 years ago. I thought there would be more of that by now, yeah. but not that I'm seeing. So That was with the permeable pavement. I've seen a ton of videos of it, and it's awesome. And I, we don't have a paved driveway. We have a, a stone driveway, and we want to get it paved, but I don't want to just – I want to get the permeable pavement. Yeah. One, because it's – I feel like it's the right thing to do, even though it's – we'd have to do a lot of work yeah. up front because we have a gravel driveway that's basically compacted and the water's running off anyway. Um but two, it's it's got benefits for the homeowner too because you get a snowfall. Well, it's going to hit the pavement and melt, melt and, and drain through. through. So you, I think you can do. You like shouldn't have to a salt. few inches yeah. an hour or something like that. You don't yeah. have to put salt down. You don't have to plow it unless you get a ton of snow. Yeah, they were, um, there's a lot of benefits. I had once seen an engineer's takeoff that he did for a DOT yeah. project saying the upcom upfront costs are really high mm-hmm. because. Of of what it costs to put that in because you're not just you're not just putting macadam down. There's layers. Yes, there's layers to make sure it's it's drained properly and weight wise. You have to it has to be able to handle that surface area. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, Um, but it it doesn't pay off up front. But over ten years, because you're not fixing potholes, you're not. Putting road salt down, you're not doing maintenance. You don't have that slip factor. Yeah, it's when it rains, it'll be wet, but it dries out as soon as it stops raining. Yeah, because it's just going right through. So you don't have wet pavement for nearly as long. Totally. Um, Totally. There's a lot of benefits to it. I was surprised to see it hasn't become such a big thing already. It's other. I I think the main thing is just the cost. Yeah. So. So it's just getting over that. So. I think that was good. You know, I, I, I mentioned to you, I'd pitched an idea to you before that we're running low on pod decks Yes, and I wanted to come up with our own sort of Mm -hmm. pod deck. Um, I don't know what to call it though, because it's kind of like a this or that, but we already have a segment called this or that, so it can't be that. We'll we'll brainstorm a name, but I remember, yeah, yeah, I remember the conversation. So I was going to give you two scenarios Mm -hmm. and have you pick which one you want, and I thought people in the industry would appreciate this. Because there are diehards like there are for any tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you were to use a pair of handheld pruners, Felco or any other kind, could be Fisker or anything else, if you had to choose. Me personally. Yeah. Um, man, this is a, a tricky one because it, to me personally, yeah. I don't use them enough that it matters. <laughs> But the ones we have here are Felco, and when I use other ones, mm-hmm. I notice it, and I notice they aren't as good. You know, I, I'm i left-handed, so I have a pair mm-hmm. of left-handed Felcos. I've had the same pair of left-handed Felcos for over 30 years, mm-hmm. and they need maintenance, but like you do with any tool. But I have had jobs where I've literally pruned all day, every day, mm-hmm. you know, so as far as <laughs> – being comfortable in your hand and being able to do it, I've never used another pruner enough. Like the people that love Felco won't use anything yeah. else. Yeah. I noticed in the back that we had Fisker pruners mm-hmm. that were sharp as heck, not ergonomically 
correct for correct for your yeah. hand or the blade didn't see seem ergonomically correct for a branch mm-hmm. Does that makes sense like yeah no i know what you mean they were sharp and they had they actually had like a saw on one side so you could clip or saw hmm. which i thought was interesting but i would have to use them for a long enough time to get a, an opinion but i've only ever used felco yeah no and like i, I, like I said a, i i i have a there's a good weight i have to a them. set that's i think it's in my truck it's either my truck or my garage. Obviously, I don't know where it is. <laughs> so no. I tend to not be able to find it. And then I come over here and I'll grab a set. And I I, I don't even know how often I use it. Less than, than I, I very little. I'm, our, we don't prune yeah. our, our trees. Yeah. And, so. But if you're not maintaining them, like, like you have to take good care of, of mm-hmm. the blade. Like replace yeah. the blades, all that. Like do the maintenance on it. Mm-hmm. But – I think back in the 80s, that pair, because I remember them telling me when they were given to me, these cost $50, so don't lose these yeah. pruners. And that was back in 1989. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty amazing that, for, one, I didn't lose them. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> if it's expensive, I won't lose it. Like sunglasses, I'll lose 20 cheap pairs, but if you give me an expensive pair, I'll never mm-hmm. lose it. So I don't know. I, I don't know if I have – I'm going to say Felco because I've never – Said these are horrible. Give me, let me try something different. Yeah, no, like I said, every time I use them, they're they're really good. Even like dull pair that I pull out of someone's drawer that's that's rusty and like doesn't look good, it still works well. Where I've used when I've grabbed the ones that aren't Felco, they definitely haven't worked as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, the one the one tip I always liked from I had like a, a horticultural maintenance class when I was in college, and we had to one of the things we learned was how to prune um, trees on campus. You went to a tree on campus and they like taught you how to prune them. Um, Just like one of the street trees. And one of the best tips that I learned that I still use is like, if you just bend the, the branch, I think it's slightly away from the blade, just a little bit. It just just goes right through where if you just try and muscle it through, it'll like bind up a little bit. Um, But yeah, just bending that tiny, tiny bit in, like slices through like butter. Oh, totally. I, that's, I think about that. It's been like 12, 13 years since I learned that tip. And I think about it like every time I trim anything. You know, so. pruning was one of those skills. It was one of the first skills I learned like on a winter pruning crew that I still try to keep up. I have a friend that has a nursery and once a year I'll go out for a day and just prune. Like and I wanted to teach my kids that because it's just a skill. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Not too many yeah. people. It's like – It's something that it's – it can be very beneficial, even if you want yes. something to look wild. But you, a lot of times you have to maintain it, whether there's a path or, or yeah. your walkway. You have to trim it for some reasons. And if you do it the wrong way, it can have lifelong impacts on Cor- that plant. Correct. So many, where it's, it's important you do it properly. So many things in our industry are pruned or sheared. Like a white pine, like most people, when you buy a white pine, you're getting a semi-sheared white pine. Mm-hmm. But pines aren't semi-sheared naturally so they grow out of it very awkwardly like they look good when you plant them but that's not how they're meant to be (laughs) and then they grow out like so many problems happen you get weird leaders like where Mm -hmm. you get uh branching angles that you know something's going to break when it gets older so it's just you want to be able to do it right it's just a skill that i'm glad Mm -hmm. i learned and i don't want to lose that there's another i forget what book i read it in but it was talking about how when you get a split leader and it eventually becomes a mature tree and you have that big y in it how how 
much more likely that tree is to get diseased, and then it was how much more likely that, or how less, um, how much shorter the lifespan was yeah. for that tree, and how it was going to break at some point. Yeah. It was a matter of when, not or, or, or not if, it was going to break, and it was way sooner than. And basically, when it broke, it got diseased. The tree eventually yeah. died. And um, where if you had a single stem, so and that's something that happens a lot. If, if you have a tree at home and it's a sapling, you don't want it to have multiple leaders because you're shortening the lifespan and, of the tree. That happens a lot with fast-growing, weak-wooded trees, mm-hmm. silver maple. Yep. I mean, yep. they'll get really big really fast, and there'll be a lot of breakage early on, and you'll get really bad angles. Mm-hmm. And I've seen a lot of silver maples that are just one of my favorite trees to hunt out of, though, because they're they're, they're <laughs> you get like three or four trunks, and you can kind of sit right in the middle of them. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, for but that it's, purpose, but but it's you know maybe we can put that question in the yeah. Facebook group and just mm-hmm. you know like a vote, like hey. Not a contest. Not a contest. Yeah. Just to see what, what everyone else yeah, See thinks. what people think. So this segment brought to you by Felco. <laughs> <laughs> Number one pruner in <laughs> uh, Yeah, that would be nice. But Yeah. No, it's – and it's it's funny. Like I said, I've had my pair for so long, and there's a different weight to it. Even when you have it in your hand, like mm-hmm. it's just like – it was like made like an appendage for you. Yes. So yeah. – and if you're doing – Doing it for a long period of time, you want to be comfortable doing it. So I had a friend who worked for Felco too. Really, I haven't seen him in a while. He always dropped off the chocolates at our booth at Man. Oh, that's Every right. It was, it was like these fancy Swiss chocolates, oh, and uh, really good. that they gave out to like your best customer. But he always gave them to me, even though he didn't <laughs> buy anything from. But uh, yeah. awesome, awesome. So, so we've actually been like an hour and seventeen minutes. Yeah, it's, I I promise a short episode and then we're long. It's not a big deal. But but we're gonna try to do more of these more industry related. Mm-hmm. Kind of not a this or that, but um, we'll come up with it. We'll come Working up with a name title. For it. Yeah. No, no theme music. We'll come up with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, well, that is it. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to the buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants Healthy Planet presented by Pineless Nursery. We're going to give a big thank you to RJ Comer for our buzz theme music. Um, RJ has a new song coming out. Mm, nice. That, uh, a little birdie may have sent me a, a copy of it. I'll have to share it. It's yeah, phenomenal. Be good. Actually, it may be. My favorite song by him. I think it's – I don't want to say it's a departure. It's just a little bit darker maybe, mm-hmm. like as if nightly suicide for our Buzz theme music. <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe a little bit darker, but I love it. I'll, I'll make sure I uh, share yeah, it Yeah, I can't you. wait to listen. Yeah, so uh, make sure you stream or buy RJ's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your music. You can follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ. Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, we mentioned it before. The question and comment line has been a little uh, dead lately, so give us a call. Keep us company, 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. Ask us a question or leave a comment. We're going to play that on a future episode of The Buzz. And we'll answer it to the best of our ability or we will phone someone that can if we can't. And uh, hey, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group is over 800 uh, followers and everyone still keep up the great work. You've been so polite and helpful and you're doing such a great job at spreading the message. Uh, let's keep growing this the same way. Yeah. So you can listen to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast directly at www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Um, when you listen, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. And if you write something, I'll give you a little shout-out on the podcast. 
Um, and if wherever you can do that, that is a big, big help. People ask us how they can help us a lot. That's the number one way you can do it. Uh, another way you can do it, and not help us, but help a lot of our our, our guests, is by buying a Native Plants Healthy Planet t-shirt, which you can get, again, at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. And as I alluded to, we don't make a dime off of it. It is all going to nonprofit organizations that are getting their hands dirty and doing this work out in the field. So um, if you haven't picked up a Native Plants Healthy Planet t-shirt already, do so as soon as you can. So are we doing a – is that your whole thing? Did you do it all? Uh, yeah, I changed it up a little okay. bit. Okay, all right, all right. But, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I hit all the points. Okay, so, so you wanted to – it's my turn. We, it's we your were, turn we for were secret. We yeah. were trying to decide if it was really – because I'm pretty sure I think it is. you had a week where you didn't really have a secret, and I gave one. I didn't have one, and you gave one. I think it's my turn. I'm pretty sure it's your turn, yeah. I'm not sure. It so doesn't, It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. So given that we, we kind of alluded to it, Tom threw out like a little uh, – side joke that he knew i would get that but our <laughs> listeners wouldn't get so this <laughs> it just makes me laugh i tried to steer us away from this but i know Fran, you did Fran really wants to bring this i'm up. gonna bring it up so because i find it funny mm-hmm. um so tom and i have been doing talks for the native plant healthy planet podcast i think we did five this like one a month for five months like and we just finished the last one recently and it's been on it's basically a talk on growing the circle and tolerance. Mm. Like it was – it's a talk on tolerance. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Like – Yeah, it's, it's a – And communication. Yes. Yes. It's a talk – yeah, the big thing is communication, mm-hmm. how you're you're going to – what's the, what's the saying? You're going to learn – lure more flies with honey than, than salt? I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but you're going to get more people – if you're going to get more people interested in this by being nice to them and engaging versus – Bashing and being, a and negative, being and negative about it or negative. So we were literally – I think we had just finished the introductions and we were maybe two slides in. I, we weren't even five minutes into this yeah, talk. We were, it was, yeah, we were and in the very beginning. We were, and this was the last talk of the year. So this talk has been very well received. And and mm-hmm. granted, maybe there were people – like you, you do a talk, you see people tuning out mm-hmm. and you're like, all right, maybe they weren't into it. But yeah. you know, they didn't say anything. Like, but for the most part, our retention through the talks were were over ninety percent. So, we get to this last talk, and we're on maybe the second or third slide, and the person throws it. Someone throws a comment in. It was either a question in the question area. Whatever it did, it showed up as a notification. Notification (laughs) that we both that we both read (laughs) while we were doing the talk, in case someone had a question that was relevant to what we were doing. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember. 100%, but I'm going to do my best, and it's – this talk is inane. It's a complete waste of my time. It's like I threw my money away. I'm out of here. Bye. And it was just – all we did was introduce ourselves, (laughs) and we talked about one slide, and it was just like – I, I just found it really, yeah, really funny. Now we've had a couple instances where we've logged in for these meetings and people were doing some of the things we were going to talk about not doing, which is a little awkward, but at the same time a good learning moment, mm-hmm. teaching moment. Where hey, these I are, think it's more awkward for the the person who is yeah, doing it than us. Than, yeah. than us, because I think a lot of people don't realize how they can be negative, especially when it comes to this topic. Yeah. It's like I mentioned before, it's lonely being 
the ecologist where you know you know all these issues that are going on and how can how can all these other people be so blind to it yeah and that's where our message is well you got to show them the light not tell them they're they're an idiot yeah (laughs) and and it was i just i laughed like and i think i laughed out loud when it came up and then it kind of threw me off because i was thinking about it and i was like all right even if that's really how you feel there was really no no reason to broadcast that to everyone like everyone saw it it wasn't just us everyone saw it and it was just like what like you could have just quickly yeah, logged out for me and, and then and sent a message to to the organization That's, and said yeah. hey i i really didn't see the relevance although you didn't even give it a chance to to hear yeah. the relevance we were still yeah. in the process of telling everyone why our topic was important <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Saying, hey, here's why here's why we talk about so then we're so passionate about it. And then we say, How do you get other people passionate about it too? But but then I kept throwing it in during the talk. I kept repeating some of the things that had been written. But but that was uh I and I wished I'd said it at the time. I was like, just give us five more minutes and if we don't change your mind, then I'll give you your money back. That's that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh like we said, it's sometimes you you see the negative comments, and and it's hard not to to take them in. But we we take the positive but, comments just as as seriously. But that's what I mean. Like we get like a fantastic comment, and then that like this is inane, a waste of money, and a waste of my time. And there's no like it's okay. You guys are okay. Like it's yeah. it's one or the other. It seems like so when it's when it's bad. It's bad. Like most of our reviews are five star or one star. Mm-hmm. Not that there's many of them. It's it's a, a like three, but the ones that that put one star weren't very nice. <laughs> nice about it. <laughs> All right, that's my secret. That's no, our secret. Actually, it's our, it's, it's our secret. And it was it was a it was a learning experience for sure. But I, yeah, my whole. Once we got past that point where I was like, I could I should say something, and I'm like, uh, and Fran was talking, and then got done, and I'm like person's long gone yeah <laughs> I, i'm, not, I'm gonna, not even gonna acknowledge it now and then fran continued to acknowledge <laughs> it the the presentation. I'm like because <laughs> i thought it was funny it it was <laughs> it, it was funny but yeah. i guess i'm just making light of a, a bad situation you want everyone to, oh, to yeah. enjoy yeah. what you're doing i realize yeah. it's not for everyone but they didn't have to be so mean about it <laughs> so but, yeah, that's a little little show behind the curtain of what happens in our brains. But all right, well, thank I, but, you. Real quick, I laughed so hard. Like at the time that it popped up, you were talking, and I laughed so hard that I realized I stopped paying attention, and then it threw me off for like two to three yeah. slides. And then I'm like, oh great, that's now I'm giving been, a must bad. Must I was talking, and when I saw it, you were talking. Yeah, like, yes. Oh, Fran's going through his spiel now, yeah. so I gotta. I don't yeah. know how to like cut him off to address and i'm like great this person said this now i'm giving a bad presentation because i'm thinking about that and not doing what i'm supposed (laughs) to be doing so sorry but no that was it was a good time (laughs) (laughs) so with that thank you everyone i'm tom and i am fran thank you again everyone uh we'll see you next week for a meet the guest and we're actually going to have it's three folks uh at least two at least two from the Lady Bird johnson wildflower center I'm really excited about that. In Austin, Texas. And and many of you probably know them because of the website. Whenever you Google any native plant, wildflower.org. Wildflower.org.
So, yeah, so, I'm pretty pumped up about that one, too. And it's the executive director? Um, I don't know who exactly it's going to be. It's going to be okay. their their lead horticulturist, okay. the person who's in, in charge of that plant database, and maybe the executive director as well. I'm, we're which still is, dialing in exactly who's going to be Which is on. pretty amazing. So okay. uh, we're excited to get that one out to you. We're excited to be able to do this one. So, But that's coming up next week. Make sure you uh, go to the Facebook group and vote on this or that and whatever we decide to call the new segment. And uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.